Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. It's Saturday, 2nd of March. So, two days into March already. You'll be listening to this tomorrow, won't you? The 3rd. So, March 2024. What have we got? 7 degrees centigrade, which is 44 Fahrenheit. 82% humidity. 989 millibars on the barometer. The flag is dark out there. It's 5am. 5 o'clock in the morning, Saturday. Yes, I'm up early, I know. I woke at four, went through some emails on my iPad in bed, got to half past four. I thought, well, I don't know, Trish is asleep. So I'm in here anyway at five o'clock. So the flag isn't moving at all. I can just about see it because the street lights come on. Not moving at all. But the worst part of it all, it's only six degrees, no, seven degrees, I said, didn't I? It is lashing with rain. And I've had a Met Office email warning of snow. So I hope we don't get snow today. We're into March. The last thing we want is snow, isn't it? Thank you for all your emails. Great to hear from you. Oh, Susan, what was it Susan said about the the breakfast table? You know, I was talking about the tables all laid properly with the napkins and the the milk jug, the sugar in a little sugar bowl, (laughs) the butter in a butter dish, all done properly. She says that brings back memories. And it does for me of bed and breakfast. Do you remember staying, have you ever stayed at a bed and breakfast place in the past? You go on holiday somewhere and there's a a landlady, they're called, aren't they? Is it a landlady? You get a bed and you get breakfast and that's it. You have to go out for the day. You can't go back until the evening. Just the bed and breakfast. They were very popular. I think they're still around now. But what have we got now? Air B&B, is it? I'm not quite sure what that is. But that's great, Susan. And thank you for other people that mentioned. Was it Jeff, Eileen? Davy, Jennifer, quite a few of you mentioned breakfast tables in the good old days. So thank you for all your emails. Right, let's get started, shall we? Email from Ray. Hello, Ray. Drop leaf table. (laughs) This is funny. You know the drop leaf table type thing? You've got a, it's a very narrow table and you can lift the thing to each end to bring it up. And there's one leg that slides around to hold the, the drop leaf bit up. I'm not describing it very well, am I? You know what I mean. So one evening they're having their fish and chips at the table. They've only got one leaf out. At Christmas you open both out because you've got loads of people there. For Christmas dinner. That's a way off. Why am I mentioning Christmas? Struth. So Ray wanted to nip to the loo. So he leapt up from the table, dragged the, the drop leaf leg with him so it went under. And of course that leaf then... They call it a leaf. It's a, it's half the table, isn't it? It collapsed, of course. It, it folded down. So his dad's, <laughs> his dad was eating his fish and chips. That ended up in his lap. His dad was trying to catch everything else that was sliding off the table. I can just picture that, Ray. That's brilliant. Mary Jo, nice to hear from you. You say you were born and raised in the, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? Appalachian Mountains. Is that right? Appalachian Some of the sayings, she threw more out of the back door than her man could tote in the front door. I like that. And if someone was blocking the view, your daddy ain't a glassmaker. So you can't see, you can't see through the person. One or two here I can't read. Anyway, great to hear from you, Mary Jo. I'll try and find the correct pronunciation for that. A-P-P-A-L-A-C-H-I. It's Appalachian, isn't it? I bet that's wrong. I'll ask my son next time I speak to him. He's in the 
the Carolinas, North Carolina. I'll ask him. I bet he'll know, because he does get around a bit out there. He's been out in America now, must be seven or eight years. So, But he doesn't have the accent. When we chat, he doesn't have the American accent, which is strange. I thought by now he would have. Julian, nice to hear from you. You say that, uh, going back to the, was it last Sunday's episode? I can't remember. School holidays, you know, half term, when it's pouring with rain, what do you do? He says that uh, he went over the woods with his friends, excellent, over the woods, what, in the pouring rain? There was a derelict house. They go into the derelict house. Light a fire, you know, not in the, on the middle of the floor, in the fireplace, smoke coming out of the chimney, plenty of wood around, of course, although I expect a lot of it was wet, and they'd spend the day there. They take food with them and uh, bottles of drink. Wonder whether that was bottles of Corona or tins of Seven Up back in those days. Uh, you say it was sixties, nineteen sixties, so could be Seven Up or Pepsi Cola in bottles. So they'd all sit round the fire, having a laugh, having a chat. Oh, and and I forgot this bit. I made a note here. Took a transistor radio with them, so they could listen to the pirate stations. Perfect Radio London. He says he liked best, although he did listen to Caroline. Wonderful Radio London. I think they're on two six six meters, weren't they? Medium wave. Happy days. Kids back in the fifties, early sixties anyway, they loved building camps in the woods. I remember we were over there one summer and we came across a load of branches that had been piled up lengthwise at standing upright against a tree. So we pulled all the branches away to see what was in there. It looked like something was being hidden. And we found an entrance to an old air raid shelter. Now, we knew of all the air... Well, we thought we knew of all the air raid shelters in the vicinity. Over at the local park, the recreation ground, in the woods, there were a couple. This was one we didn't know about. And someone had obviously disguised the entrance. Basically, it was a huge concrete square block, half buried under the ground. A couple of... Uh, I call them windows. A couple of holes in the very, very thick concrete, steps down to get into it, a flat roof on top, which was also covered in branches, old leaves. Someone had gone to a lot of trouble to hide the whole thing. It wasn't that big. What was it inside? 10 feet by 10 feet, say three metres by three metres, something like that. For those of you on the metric system, we got both here. We can say one and a half metres <laughs> instead of 1.5 metres, one and a half so we got metric and imperial. Anyway, inside this air raid shelter was a, a bed, like a camp bed. Do you remember the camp beds? And there was a table and a chair. Someone was living there. There's food on the table. There was a cupboard. Someone had obviously got all these bits and pieces from somewhere, installed them all in the air raid shelter, and they were living there. Quite amazing, really. We had a good look round. We were a bit concerned in case whoever it was came back. It might have been someone that... Uh, was unpleasant, put it that way, not very happy to find us in their home, which is what it was. It was someone's home. Of course, we were excited. We discovered something secret. This was brilliant. We had to make plans. We came out of the air raid shelter, put all the branches back, and we hid in some bushes. That was the plan to see who went there, to find out who it was that was living there. Well, after a couple of hours, we gave up. I remember why we gave up because it was approaching lunchtime. We had to get back for lunch. So we decided to go back in the afternoon. When we got back, 
There was someone in there. We could hear them shuffling around. There was someone in the shelter. We couldn't see who it was. We didn't want to get too close in case they heard or saw us. So we hung around in the bushes. It must have been for another hour, hoping that whoever it was would come out, which of course they didn't. That evening we were having a chat. I think it was around my house. We were all having a chat. It was a tramp. It was an escaped prisoner. It was a spy. <laughs> we came up with all these theories, all this speculation. Plan B was to go back the next morning, which we did, and we saw who it was. Now, we didn't know the person. It wasn't a tramp. It could have been a spy. A chap came out dressed in a suit, a shirt, a tie, a briefcase. And we're thinking, what, what's this? Perhaps someone's discovered it. This could be the authorities, the council or whoever. They've discovered that someone's living there and they've come to investigate. So we followed this chap to the railway station, which wasn't that far from the woods. It was, where are we, past my house. It was probably half a mile. And he got on the London train. And that was it. He disappeared. So we're thinking, well, he can't be a council chap. He wouldn't. What's he going to London for? More speculation, more conspiracy theories. <laughs> of course, it was great, you know, for us lads at that age. What were we, 12, 13? It was fantastic. So we had another look in the shelter. There was nothing really to give away what the chap was, what he was doing there, who lived there. But we did find some more clothes in a suitcase which had been put under the bed. They were nice clothes. They weren't tramps clothes. They were nice clean shirts, clean trousers, a jacket. We just couldn't work out what this was all about. One of the lads said, let's go and tell the cops. But no, 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 we don't want to do that. We wanted to find out who this chap was. There was a paraffin lamp on the table, a couple of torches, some spare batteries. It wasn't a home exactly. It was obviously temporary accommodation. Well, so we thought. The mystery seemed to be deepening or the plot thickening. We decided to hang around in the woods later that afternoon. If he'd gone to London and he was working in London, he'd probably be back about five, six o'clock maybe even seven. We had no idea, of course. So what we did was just hang around in the woods, nowhere near the shelter, but where the path led into that part of the woods. Our hanging around paid off because late afternoon, the chap was walking towards the woods with his briefcase and with a bag. Do you remember the paper carrier bags back then? Not plastic. And we reckoned in there he had food or fish and chips from the local shop, something like that. And he saw us. That was our idea. He saw us. He looked rather concerned as he approached us because he was obviously thinking that we were thinking, what's this chap doing in the woods or heading for the woods at least? So this friend of mine blurted out, are you going home to your air raid shelter? Oh no, we're thinking, idiot. What do you do that for? Oh, fancy saying that. And the chap approached as he stopped and he said, oh, you've discovered my house, have you? And he laughed. So that was a relief. I thought he was going to go mad at us or something. He carried on walking, leaving us standing there with our mouths open. He stopped, turned to face us and said, well, come on then, if you want to hear the story of why I'm living in the woods. So we did. We followed him. <laughs> we were a little bit hesitant. Mind you, there were, what, five or six of us. Uh, we're early teens, so... Had he tried anything, we weren't too sure that he would, obviously, but we would have been safe enough. 
We all piled into the air raid shelter. He put his bag on the table. It was fish and chips. That was his evening meal. And he had a couple of bottles of beer. So he said, well, I can't offer you a seat, so you all have to sit on the bed, which we did. He stood in front of us as if we were his audience. It was quite funny. And he said, I'm living here because my wife threw me out of our house. <laughs> of course, we laughed. It wasn't funny, but we laughed. And then he laughed. He said, what it is, we had an argument and she threw me out and said, I can't go back for two weeks. I mean, it was hilarious. We thought he was joking. Because back in those days, as I've said in previous podcast episodes, the house belonged to the chap, the husband. It was his house and the wife was just living in it. It's all changed now, of course. So why should she throw him out? What it was, he explained that she reckoned he couldn't survive on his own. Quite a weird story, actually. He couldn't survive on his own. He had to get out for two weeks. I don't think it was an argument as such, and I don't think he was thrown out. I think it was more of a bet, more of a dare. Go on, then you walk off. You go and live somewhere, in a tent or wherever, for a couple of weeks, because I don't think you can do it. That's what it was all about. He was a lovely chap. He worked in London. He made a nice home in the woods. He said to us that he only had another few days there. And he said uh, that we could have the, the house, as he called it. We could have his house. He was going to leave the bed and the, the table. He didn't want to take it all away. And we could use it as a camp. We did use it as a camp for, uh, what, two or three weeks, something like that. Till one day we went there and there was this chap in there. Outside, there's a, like a clearing, difficult to describe, but there's a track into the woods. Outside was a horse and a, a gypsy-type caravan and a tent that this chap had put up. It was him and his wife, and there was a child there. We stood well back because they didn't look too friendly. And he looked at us. We weren't sure what to do. We didn't even say hello. We just turned round, spun round on our heels and uh, got out of there. He was there for a couple of weeks. Him, his wife, the tent, the horse, the gypsy-type caravan. Lovely caravan. You know, the old wooden ones, all painted nicely and all, all done up. After a couple of weeks, he disappeared and there was nothing in the air raid shelter. He'd taken everything, but we still used it as a camp. Of course, back in those days, there were a lot of woods, a lot of woodland around, fields, farms, a lot of things left over from the war years in the 50s, obviously, things like air raid shelters, things to explore, which was great for us kids. We were always discovering things. I think I've told you over at Shoreham Airport, there was a, a wartime rifle range. It was out in the open. It was a big brick wall that they used to, I don't know, put targets on. And there were little brass shells everywhere. It was very sandy there. And in the sand, there's all these little brass shells from where they were shooting at the targets on the, on the wall. And we collected dozens of these things, probably hundreds. I don't know what for. I don't know what I did with them all. But there were all these things to explore. It was fantastic time, really, for kids that wanted to get out and about down the beach, in the woods, things to look for, things to discover. Happy days, indeed. I remember on the beach, we used to find these glass, they were green glass balls, about six inches diameter, made of glass. Some of them were broken, but some were intact. Glass balls, they're just sitting on the beach. You know, the tide had gone out and they're stuck on the stones. We only found two or three. I had no idea what they were. 
until a local chap, a fisherman, he, he said, ah, I forget what he called them. He said, oh, you found whatever floats. And he said, they'd hold up fishing nets. We didn't know that. He said, take them to your local bric-a-brac shop. He said, they'll buy them. <laughs> so we did. I think we had two or three of them. I can't remember what we got for them, how much, but with the, the money, we went and bought some sweets. What else would you spend money on at that age? Well, fireworks, possibly, but this was the summertime. I've still got a, a rough throat, you can probably tell. Still a bit bunged up after the weekend's cold and cough. I, I had severe flu, that's what it was, severe bout of flu for two days. <laughs> I've never had the flu. Influenza, isn't it? I've never had flu, but people that have have said to me, you would know if you had the flu, you'd know, because for two weeks, that's it, you're wiped out. So these people that say, oh, I had flu uh, last Wednesday, <laughs> they're, they're talking, what's the word? Rubbish, that's it, they're talking rubbish. One thing I did find in the woods was a gin trap. Now, I believe they were made illegal, in, was it mid to late 50s? This must have been the 60s. I found a gin trap with a chain. You know what a gin trap is? It's a sort of spring-loaded thing with two big jaws. If an animal, say a fox, steps on the plate in the middle... The jaws close, they snap close with jagged things on them and trap its legs so it can't escape. And they were made illegal. But I found this one, early 60s. There was a stake in the ground with a chain to it. I managed to pull the stake out. I set the thing off, first of all. I got a stick and poked it, and it went bang, snap, and these jaws came together. Dangerous. I could easily have stepped on that plate and it would have got my foot. That would have been awful. Don't know how the poor animals must have felt. Anyway, I took it home. I took my jacket off. I had this old jacket. I called it my woods jacket. It was for going over the woods because it didn't matter if it got ripped or dirty or I must have looked like a tramp. <laughs> and wrapped it in this jacket and I took it home. And my dad said, oh, they're illegal. So we didn't know what to do with it. And I think it, it hung up in the shed for a few weeks. And uh, in the end, he said, look, we better get rid of that. If someone sees it, they'll they'll think that we use gin traps or something to trap animals. I don't know what he did with it, but he got rid of it somewhere. Horrific looking thing. It was awful. Shotgun cartridges, they were good to collect. They were sort of ready type, or no, red, yes, and green ones. Don't know what the difference was. Red and green shotgun cartridges. We'd collect those as kids from the woods. I found an electric fence machine chucked in a, a very shallow stream by this uh, hedge. So I took that home, dried it all out, cleaned it up, Borrowed Dad's old car battery and connected 12 volts to it. I got it working. Once I dried it, cleaned it all out, put some oil on it, it actually worked. There was a mechanical type for those who are interested, which are probably not these days. They're solid state, aren't they? Nothing moving, no moving parts. But it had a disc, a heavy disc, which would twist round. It would go tick, tick, tick. And I got electric shocks from it. And I gave friends of mine electric shocks. I fixed it up, a little electric fence down the garden. And I said, look, touch that wire. Because they did, in their innocence. What's that do then? Oh! <laughs> that was good fun. As I said earlier, there were things to explore, things to discover, things to do for kids. It was great fun. Before I forget, do you remember I was making a note of the people that liked and or disliked seagulls? It was 15 likes and 3 dislikes. It's now 18 likes and 3 dislikes. The likes are winning. 
what is it? The yeas, was it the no's or the yeas? The yeas have it or something. Now, where's my notes? Hang on, let me check. Let me, let me check my notes here. What have I got written here? There was snow in the air a little while ago. Just a few very fine flaky bits of snow. So the Met Office weren't lying. They did say actually in the email it might not settle because everywhere is so wet at the moment. When the snow reaches the ground, it'll just hit the water and melt. We do not want snow. Just going back to the chap in the suit with his briefcase who lived in the air raid shelter in the woods. We told one of the lad's dads about it. And he was something, this was some weeks later, and he was something to do with the, was it the diplomatic corps? Not sure what he did, where he worked, but he worked somewhere in London, somewhere not hush-hush and secret, but, I don't know, some government thing. And we told him about it, and he started questioning us. What did the chap look like? How long was he there for? What were the dates? What times did he catch the train? All this sort of thing. And we never did discover what that was about. He wouldn't tell us, but we reckoned that he knew something about it. We then decided that this chap's story about it was a, a bet with his wife that he couldn't survive on his own for two weeks... We thought that was nonsense. It did sound rather daft at the time, but it was only when a few weeks later we told one of the lads' dads about it that we really did start our own conspiracy theories about spies and espionage and whatever else, whatever else we dreamed up. It was good fun, actually. It was good fun. It was exciting. We're heading for midday now on Saturday. It's still only six degrees out there. Not nice at all. Trisha lit the fire just now. She said, I'm going to light the fire. I've had enough of this cold. Not so much the cold, but the damp. Doesn't do your bones any good, the damp. I remember my old nan back in the 50s. You don't want to get damp. You'll catch yourself... No, was it? You'll catch your death of cold. I don't know why it is that if someone gets wet, they get a cold. I mentioned this recently, didn't I? You see these films on the telly. Someone gets wet in the rain. They get home five minutes later and they're sneezing. Achoo, achoo, oh dear. I've got a cold, dreadful cold. They've only come back from down the road. They were buying some fags down the road, 20 number six and a box of matches. They've come back in the rain. They've got a cold. Ridiculous. That reminds me, again, talking of films, one of my pet hates. Why do they... You see a chap driving and he's talking and he's the, the steering wheel in both hands and he's going left, right, left, right, left, right. He must be swerving all down the road from side to side. Why do they do that? Surely someone on the film set would say, look, hold the steering wheel still. Go, you're driving straight down the road. You might go slightly to the left, slightly to the right if there's a bend or a curve, but you're not going left, right, left, right, like the windscreen wipers, you know, doing that with the steering wheel. And so many of the old films do that. I don't know why someone doesn't point that out. Hello, Nick. Nice to hear from you. You say, what do you say? Have you heard about Alastair Cook's unfortunate end? I haven't. No, I've got your email here. I must get round to answering that. I've got loads to answer. Regards from north of the border. Lovely to hear from you. You say you haven't tuned into the pod for a while. Struth, that won't do. I've got a link here you've sent me. I shall have a look at that. Alastair Cook's unfortunate end. I've been watching Jack Hargreaves again each uh, Monday. Is it half past six? On Talking Pictures channel. Really good, out of town, Jack Hargreaves, from 1980. What I like about it, the way he speaks, he's just so relaxed, he's so laid back. 
everything about the programmes are just relaxed. You just feel, I don't know, feel rather comfortable, I suppose, listening to Jack Hargreaves, watching him. Nothing's hurried. It's just all laid back as if, oh, I've got all day. That's right, I'm going to do a spot of fishing and the River Avon. Here we go, here I am by the river bank. Just settle down, just light my pipe. He spends a few minutes puffing on his pipe. Now, what was I here for? Oh, yes, I'm going to do some fishing, aren't I? I like that. These days, everything is such a rush. The traffic... Oh, don't get... Oh, no, potholes. I won't mention potholes. Struth, we nearly... We nearly went down a crater. Fifteen-foot-deep crater. Well, it was about six inches. If a bike had gone over that, it's a huge one in the middle of the road. It was only that Trisha said, Look out, big hole! That I, I slowed down. I, I saw it slowed down. Blimey! <laughs> Almost went down that. Anyway, as I said, I won't bang on about potholes. <laughs> Talking to one of the younger members of the family the other day, and they often ask me this because they know I do the podcast. What was it like in your day? When you were young, when you were a child, you didn't have mobile phones and all this. Well, the conversation the other day was, what did you do? There was nothing to do. We've had this conversation before. This is really what kicked off the idea for this particular episode things to explore kids exploring things in the old days i'm not just talking about going over to the woods because that's all i ever talk about it seems when we have a chat but other things things to explore as i've said down the beach finding things on the seashore cuttlefish used to collect those for my nan well my granddad who had uh, birds they lived up in surrey he had uh, loads of birds I don't think, what were they, canaries, budgies? I don't know what they were. Huge cage in the garden, with a garden shed, full of these birds, loads of them, and they liked cuttlefish. Going back to the beach, we'd find all sorts of weird things washed up, bits of wood that had been shaped by the sea. Years of being bashed around in the sea. Perhaps one would look like a man. One would look like a, a tree, something like that. They'd been bashed into shapes, you know. We'd collect bits of woods. In fact, a friend of mine, he collected so much wood in his dad's shed, he hung them all up on the wall. He had a gallery of driftwood from the sea, all different shapes, sizes, and they looked like things. One definitely looked like a man. One looked like a, a dog. I remember the one hanging up in his shed looked just like a dog. Because I said to him, you've carved that, you've carved it out with your sheath knife do you remember sheath knife we all had a sheath knife back then can't go over the woods without a sheath knife to do some what was it called whittling was it bits of wood mucking about with bits of wood we made bows and arrows that was another thing we made ourselves we didn't want to go to the shops and buy them spend our pocket money on bows and arrows we had to buy sweets and bangers fireworks but we made our own bows and arrows and that was really good fun and the arrows you find bits of wood shape them all Get some, what do we do with the flights? I don't know how we made the flights. Get some feathers or something. Probably feathers, loads of them around. And we'd spend hours just making bows and arrows. I don't think the kids today do that sort of thing, do they? There again, health and safety these days, you're probably not allowed to make anything. Well, you couldn't give them a knife. Surely they wouldn't be allowed over to the woods with a knife. It's an offensive weapon. They wouldn't be allowed to make bows and arrows that have someone's eye out. I remember my nan saying, stop doing that, you'll have someone's eye out. I forget the wood that we... Was it hazel or willow to make the bow from? I can't remember. But this old farmer chap, we were whittling these bits of wood 
and he saw us, he was on his tractor, and he pulled up and he said, what are you making, lads? And we, we said, we're doing a, making a bow. And he told us which wood to use for the bow, and, well, and the arrows. It was something, I can't remember what it was, hazel, willow, I'll have to look that up. But he was very helpful. That was another thing back then, you're over the woods, farmers didn't tell you to clear off, well, it depends what you're doing. If you're trampling in his wheat field, or clambering all through the, the barn or something, his haystack, then he might have a little bit of a moan. But in the main, I think the farmers that we bumped into anyway, they were pleased to see us and they would help us. They would teach us. That is the thing. Here's the thing. Everyone back then that you bumped into, whether it be in the country or on the beach, people would teach you. I remember a chap on the beach, he was fishing and he showed us the fish he'd caught, told us what fish they were, what type they were, because we wouldn't have known otherwise. That's how you learn, isn't it? You learn by listening to people who know. And it's the same for me today with my amateur radio hobby. There are several people that are far more technical than me, far more knowledgeable than me. So if I don't know something, I'll ask one of them. But I do know people. Here's the thing again. I do know people that haven't got a clue. They talk. There's that word again beginning with R. B. Rubbish. That's the one. They talk rubbish. They come out with all this nonsense. Look at me. Uh, the big I am, I know everything about everything, and they're totally wrong. And if someone that doesn't know has asked them a question, well, then they're even worse off because they get the wrong answer. I'm not at all afraid of saying to someone, look, I don't understand how that works. Can you explain it to me? But so many people don't seem to be able to bring themselves to do that, to admit they don't know something. There we are. What's that expression? Nout funnier than folk. Or nout, no, nout as queer as folk. That was it. I suppose you can't say that these days. Nout as queer as folk. That was the expression. I mentioned talking pictures earlier on the telly. There's Scotland Yard and stuff. And there's Colonel March. Colonel March. Have, it's Boris Karloff and he wears an eye patch. Have you seen that? And he works for Scotland Yard. And he is head of the Department of, what is it? Queer Complaints. The Department of Queer Complaints. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? It's so funny to hear, I don't know, to listen to the old days. There's a thing comes up on the screen, a notice. It says, some of the, whatever it is, some of the words or something might offend people today, but that's how it was back then. How ridiculous. We've gone wrong somewhere. What is going on? How ridiculous. I like that. The depart Is it the department? One of you will put me right, I know. Department of Queer Complaints or... Department of Queer something or other. I've just looked it up. That is right, the Department of Queer Complaints, written in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, that is. They're rather silly. Some of the episodes are rather silly, but it's entertaining. I like it anyway. And the other thing, what is it, the true true to life? No, talk of... I, I, my memory's awful. I can't remember TV programmes. I can't remember anything. Perhaps I'm going do lally. A look at life. That's what it is. The rank organisation present a look at life. And each episode is about different things. Might be London buses in the 50s or trains in the 40s. That's really interesting. All good old black and white stuff, of course. I love all that. Someone said the other day, don't you watch any of the modern films? And uh, I have tried. Most of them I can't get into. I don't understand what's going on. Especially if they go back to, say there's a character and he's in his 40s, well, the next minute, he's 10. 
they've gone back in time and I'm confused. I'm saying to Trish, where, where are we now? Who's that? Well, that's him when he was 10. Oh, OK, right. Who's that? Oh, no, we're back in the... I see, he's now 40. I just get totally confused. And do you find some of them are really slow? They can go on for two hours or even longer and they are so, so slow. I sit there, look out of the window. We're still on this scene. What's he doing? Oh, I don't know. Mucking about looking for something in a drawer. I look at the clock. Oh, how much longer have we got? Oh, hang on. Something's happening now. They are so slow. I just, I, it's my concentration level, I suppose. It must be nil, zero, zilch even. They're just too slow. I said to Trish the other day, I said, I'm just going to go make a cup of tea. Do you want me to pause it? I said, no, you're joking. I can go make a meal and come back and I wouldn't have missed anything. <laughs> she loves it. She will sit there glued to the screen, loving every second of it. Whereas I'm looking out of the window, look at the iPad, look at my watch. Oh, dear, how long we got to sit here for? <laughs> Don't ever watch a film with me. You won't be happy. You will not like it. As a couple, I know she would like to see something on the telly, watch a certain film. He doesn't like it, so he won't allow it. He won't allow her to see it. I think that's ridiculous. If Trish wants to watch a film, she can. If I don't like it, I'll go and do something else. I will try. I'll sit there, and if after a while I think, oh, this is no good, I'll say to her, right, I'm going up to my radio room, going to talk to some nerds on the radio. And she'll say, oh, thank goodness for that. <laughs> it's true, though. I, I wouldn't spoil her viewing. And if I want to watch something, Jack Hargreaves, as I've said, out of town, she doesn't like it. It's boring. She wouldn't stop me from watching it. She wouldn't sit there and moan about it all the way through. She'll go and do something else. Or we've got a couple of tellies in different rooms. I'll go to another room and watch it or whatever. Neither of us would stop the other one from watching something on telly just because I don't like it. Just going back to exploring things in the woods. I know it's the woods again. Sorry about that. In the old days, have I told you this? A friend of mine and myself, we were up in the woods and we saw something sticking out of the ground. It looked like a, a handlebar of a, a bike. So we're poking around with sticks, prodding it and looking at it, scraping some earth away. It was a motorbike handle. So we dig a bit further and there's the, the speedometer. There's the handlebars. There's the front wheel. <laughs> so we dig a bit further. There's the engine. There's the frame. It was a brand new motorbike, all covered in grease whole thing was covered in thick grease. The whole thing was buried except this one little bit of handlebar sticking out, probably to show where it was to whoever had buried it for when they go back. So we went back to this friend of mine's house, just down the track, because they lived almost, well, on the edge of the woods. We told his dad, who came and had a look, went back to the house and his dad called the police. Two coppers turn up in an old Jaguar. Do you remember the big old Jags? they used to ride around in. They parked their car and we showed them in the woods where this motorbike was. And they were saying, oh, that's obviously been stolen. Someone's hidden it here, covered it in grease so it doesn't go rusty. I got a lift home in the Jag. How about that? I got a lift home. I don't know whether I had my bike with me. Anyway, I got a lift home in the Jag. And I went indoors and I said to my mum, I've just had a lift home by the cops in a Jaguar. She said, no, you haven't. I said, I have. You should have seen out of the window. The cops had said to us, we will find out who the owner is and we will tell him that you two boys found it. And he said, you never know, you might get a reward. Nothing. 
They found out who the owner was. It was a motorbike shop in Brighton. It had been stolen from there. They told the owner that we had found it. And the chap didn't even send us over a, a couple of sweets. Didn't even give us sixpence for our trouble. Isn't that sad? I remember us saying to each other, next time we find a motorbike, we'll keep it. <laughs> of course, we didn't find a motorbike again. At the time, of course, it was exciting. You know, the cops turning up and we found some stolen goods in the woods. It was all exciting for young lads. It was great fun. Again, it's part of exploring, isn't it? It's all part of exploring things and going out, digging things up, having a look, investigating. That's one of the things that made childhood just fantastic. That's probably why the Enid Blyton books were so popular. Well, and they still are, I believe. Secret Seven, was it? And you know, five go off to Dorset, five go looking for caves or five go camping or whatever. It was a group of kids, just like we were in the 50s and early 60s, group of kids going off exploring, doing things, going to the woods, having adventures, just having a good time. Did you ever have a tent in the back garden when you were young? I remember doing that with brothers and sisters. We'd have a tent in the back garden, sleeping bags, and we'd stay out there all night. We'd have a torch and a packet of crisps and some sandwiches. And I had a transistor radio, so we've got that out there. It was great. And of course, we were perfectly safe. We're only in the back garden. I remember on more than one occasion, got to about nine o'clock, ten o'clock, getting dark. Oh, I don't like this. I'm going in. Went to bed indoors. <laughs> but there were nights we were out there. We didn't wake up till the morning. I wasn't a reader, but I had looked at the Enid Blyton books and others, Alice in Wonderland, stuff like that. Winnie the Pooh. I like that. Rupert the Bear. Rupert and his mate Big Ears. <laughs> good stuff. It was really good stuff. I used to flick through. I couldn't read. I've only read one book in my life. Wuthering Heights. That's the only one I've read. I'm not sure that I read that properly, to be honest. But I do remember looking at the Enid Blyton books and getting into parts of it. I'd, I'd read a couple of pages and it would give me ideas. Think, well, I'll do that. That's a good idea. I'll do that. I can't remember what the ideas were now. But it was exciting to think that it wasn't only us lot, you know, us lot that went over the woods and brothers and sisters that did these, had these adventures and did exciting things. It was other kids in Enid Blyton's books. They were doing things, obviously more exciting than the things we did. They went off to camp in Devon and went off on their bicycles and stayed at a, a farmhouse and had lashings of lemonade or, or whatever it was they did. Well, they went on a train, didn't they? Do you remember the, oh, what was it called? There was a, a rip-off thing, wasn't there? Was it something yarns with, I can't remember, Dawn French was in it. And they're all pretending, they're adults, but they're all pretending to be kids. And it was quite rude in places. I suppose that would be banned these days. Not allowed to have fun anymore, are we? Not allowed to have comedy, proper comedy. You get arrested. <laughs> you get arrested, I'll tell you what. Was it? There was Dawn French. I forget the names of the, the characters. George, was it George? The dog was Timmy. And Dick. There was Dick, of course. And of course they were saying awful. Anyway, there we are. I like that. I'm not at all politically correct. You didn't know that, did you? Trisha's just bought me a cup of tea. That's rather nice. Do you know it's coming up to lunchtime already? Nearly 12 o'clock. I've been sitting here for hours. It does take a long time recording these episodes because I don't do it in one go. I don't sit here for an hour and talk non-stop. I need a cup of tea. 
I need a break and I have to stop sometimes to think, what can I bore you with next? Oh, let me, oh, I know, I'll go on about, I'll bang on about some bloke in an air raid shelter. Do you know, I've still got this cold. Awful. We need some vitamin D. We need some sunshine. That's what it is. Have you seen these little videos of Mars from the, uh, what's the Mars probe thing called? I don't know, it landed on Mars. I've seen them on Twitter, which is now X, of course. Are they genuine? I wonder, does anyone know? Are they genuine? You've got a camera on the Mars rover thing, whatever it's called, and it's it's sort of panning round and you can see the like mountain bits and you look at the ground and there's rocks and things. You never know these days what is real and what is fake. But there are quite a few of these little videos on Twitter. I still call it Twitter. I think most people do. Why that? Is it Elon Musk? Why he called it X? I don't know. It's rather odd. And now Facebook. What's his name? Zappa, Naka, Zappa, Zappa. He called it Meta, isn't it? By, uh, is it Meta? I don't know. Why do people change the names of things? I know I've banged on about this before. They changed the name of a pub. It's been the Fox and Hounds for the last 500 years. And now it's the Slug and Lettuce or Slug and Cabbage or something. I don't know why they do that. I've not been sitting here since five o'clock. I just thought I started the video. Video? Now listen to me. It's not a video. Where's the camera? I started the podcast episode at five o'clock this morning and it's now 12. I have not been sitting here for seven hours even with the odd break for a cup of tea. We went to my mother's. We went round there at half eight, had a cup of tea with her and uh, had a chat for an hour or so. Trisha did her housework. Then we went somewhere else and I can't remember. Was it the post office? I don't know. We went somewhere else. Then we got back here. Then I did a few other things. So I've not been sitting here talking solid for seven hours. Well, obviously, we're only 40 minutes into the episode. Mother-in-law is downstairs. Daughter number one has turned up. It's Saturday, you see. Saturday lunch. They all come round for lunch. It's great. I love it, especially in the summer. You get a lot of the family, not all of them. You know, some have to work, some have other things to do. But there have been occasions, many occasions, when we've got perhaps 15, 20 people all turn up for Saturday lunch, all out in the garden. It's great. I love all that. Well, as it's now just gone midday, the sun's out, the flag is dry, blowing a little bit of breeze from the west, sunshine, blue sky, what is going on? I'm going to go and have some lunch because I'm starved. The trouble is waking up early, as I do. I'm normally awake by half four. I sit up in bed, muck around doing emails on the iPad or whatever I'm doing, get up at perhaps five and I will have breakfast early. So now, I mean, my breakfast, for example, say it's midday now, just gone. I had breakfast five hours ago. That's a long time, isn't it? Five hours. People have said to me, how come you're starving at midday? You know, you can't you wait till one o'clock or have lunch at two o'clock? Well, they've got up, they've wake up at eight at the weekend, perhaps get out of bed at nine, have breakfast at 10. Anyway, each to their own. That's what I say. Who was it the other day said to me, Having your evening meal up past four in the afternoon? I said, yes, and? <laughs> what about it? You know, just because they have theirs later, some people don't eat till eight or nine at night. I like, say, half four, five o'clock in the afternoon. People should mind their own business. I will have my breakfast, lunch, evening meal, whenever I like. I can have my evening meal at seven in the morning if I want. And if someone doesn't like it, well, 
You can clear off, mind your own business. I ought to tell more people to mind their own business, you know. People need telling, I think. Especially if they start poking their nose in and interfering. Anyway, I'm hungry. I will see you in a minute. Cheese and pickle rolls, lovely, my favourite. Who remembers? I've seen a lot of this on Twitter and other platforms recently. Who remembers when they were a kid? Mother saying, if you don't like that, go without. That is dinner. That's what I've cooked. If you don't want it, go without. I remember my mum saying that on one or two occasions, but I think in the main, she would adjust things for <laughs> different members of the family. There were a lot of things I didn't like, so she would do something different for me. I don't know, perhaps that's unique, is it, or fairly unique? Because it seems that most mums would say, well, that's the meal. If you don't want the meal, then go without, clear off. <laughs> clear off. I don't know whether they said that. I do remember my mum in the kitchen. She's trying to get on with something and I'm pestering. I want a biscuit. Can I have a piece of cake? And she just pushed me to one side, gently pushed me to one side. For example, as she walked to the sink with a, a saucepan to wash up. And I would, with this gentle push, I would fly across the room, crash into the back door, oh, onto the ground, oh, 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 my arm, oh, no. And I, obviously I'd put on this huge act and she just, just said, don't be so silly. One of her favourite things was, I'll remember this if I was bad, I'll remember this. I don't think she ever did. I don't think she ever remembered anything. There was a poor chap at school, I say a poor chap, well, he was, his mum he didn't have a mum. She'd passed away, I think, when he was young. And we'd be talking at school, oh, my mum did this, and my mum makes mince pies for Christmas, and my mum has just baked a cake. He didn't have a mum, and he just listened to us a lot talking about our mums. I used to find that quite sad. He was a nice, nice chap at school. I just felt sad for him. Of course, so many people do lose their, their mum or dad or both, even when they're young, don't they? I know several people that uh, lost their mums uh, and or dads at an early age, which is a real shame. Another thing us kids did when we were young, in the summer, go down the beach. Now, in the 50s, the men, the dads, the husbands, they would wear a jacket, trousers, shirt and tie down the beach. It's a red-hot summer day and they wear a, a tie, you know, ridiculous looking back. But here's the thing again, money would fall out of their trouser pocket because they're sitting down on a blanket or on the stones, money would fall out and we would walk up and down the beach looking for money and we did find quite a lot. I remember finding all sorts, half a crown, oh look, half a crown. Two bob bits, shillings, sixpences, threepenny bits, some pennies of course. It would drop out of their trousers as they're sitting down on the, on the stones or on the sand and they weren't aware of it. And we'd make quite a killing sometimes on the beach on a nice summer's day. So I wasn't always in the woods. Sometimes I was down the beach getting some money. Of course, that was the days before metal detectors, because later on, I remember people on the beach going around with metal detectors looking for money and things. They must have done quite well, actually. There was one time there was a park bench. I don't know. I can't remember where it was exactly. I don't know. At the back of the park bench, or just underneath it, there was a load, a pile of change. It must have fallen out of someone's pocket without them realising, gone through the, the slats in the bench, and just was on the ground, on the grass. And I remember picking all this money up. It was quite a lot. And there was also a lighter. 
a lovely lighter there. So that was quite a find. I suppose I should have taken it all to the police station, really, especially the lighter. Anyway, I didn't. I kept it. Oh, no, I didn't. I sold. Yes, I did keep it for a while, but I sold the lighter at school. I remember that. That was naughty, wasn't it? Email me, if you wish, raiserants at protonmail.com. What did you do? What did you explore when you were young? Where did you go? be interesting to find out what other people did. You must have gone to the beach, to the woods, to the local park. Or did you have caves near you? Chap I knew lived down somewhere down the West Country, and he came to live in Worthing, and he told me all about where he'd come from. And there were caves. I suppose that's the, the famous five, is it? Or the seven, Enid Blyton. They were always in, in caves, weren't they? Exploring caves and things. But I remember this boy at school, he said, your beach here in Worthing, there's nothing to see. It's just stones. And I, I said to him, what do you mean? And he said, well, where I come from, we've got caves, we've got rocks, we've got cliffs. Somewhere down the West Country, I can't remember where. That must have been exciting. Anyway, I know we've got another 10 or 11 minutes to go, but I'm going to end it here because sister-in-law and brother-in-law have just turned up for their lunch. They're a bit late. So I better go and show my face, say hello, be sociable, which goes totally against the grain. That's not me at all. <laughs> I shall go and say hello to them. Look after yourselves. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? You know what I'm going to say. Don't do anything I do, and if you do, don't get caught. Is that right? I don't know. Whatever you do, look after yourselves, have a good time, enjoy life, and I will see you on Wednesday with another, yet another, midweek message. Take care. Bye-bye for now.